so yeah, it was just inevitable it was going to be reinvented, but from its original incarnation of the people who were inspired by 60s and early 70s, now they were being inspired by the punk bands who came, but they said, that shit's dead, that shit's ruined, we're going to start a whole new thing. You know, the whole, the whole point of, like, hardcore was almost, like, taking it back to the root of what the Ramones were doing, which was fast, hard, clean. Just So they've basically out. seen how this sort of punk scene has been perverted and commercialized and said, fuck this, we're going back to the roots. But that was, like, one specific thing, though. Yeah. Well, not really. Like, L.A. was sort of doing it, but they were kind of a mess. They didn't have... The majesty that the DC bands had, Minor Fred and Bad Brains. Like, what do you mean by majesty? Like, really fucking good. Like, there okay. was some good shit coming out of LA, but there, if anyone, if, if you looked at any, any of that stuff, like, a lot of it's kind of a mess. Like, LA is such a weird scene to think about. What's that? It's like a, it's a documentary that's, that's a few parts about the West, the West something. Oh, Punks. decline of Western civilization. Yes. Yeah, Penelope Spheris. That's a good way to. That's a good kinda, place to start. Kind of came in. You've seen it? Yeah. Oh no shit. I don't remember much of it because I'm probably I probably just. Put yeah, it she kind of came in on the yeah. tail end of the scene, although it was still fairly vibrant and just. Filmed, it's intense, man. Filmed performances, did interviews of fans, interviewed the bands. That was part one. That was the LA scene. Then she did a one. Several years later, Decline 2 that she did about the L.A. metal scene in the 80s, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is equally as ridiculous. And then several years later after that, she made one kind of about, like, crust punks, anarcho-punk, like, punk as it, and very underground. I haven't seen that one either. So she's a pretty badass chick then, documentarian. Well, she, well, she, she directed Wayne's World. I did not know that. Holy shit. This is where she got her start, was making that Decline movie, and then she uh, started directing, like, major flicks. So this, speaking of Wayne's World, must have something to do with the the punk band in Wayne's World. The fictional band. Right? Well, I mean... You know what I'm talking about? Well, let's, let's look at what the music scene was in the early 90s. The early 90s were just a projection of punk rock. As Sonic Youth, sure, sure, Sonic, yeah, grunge. Sonic, yeah, it's just punk. Sonic Youth made a yeah. documentary called "The Year Punk Broke," nineteen ninety one. Very apt because it was like, yes, throughout the seventies and eighties, there were bands. Punk never died. Bands were still getting shot, signed to majors like Husker Du and the Replacements and uh, fuck, fuck it, even the Smiths. I would call them punk. Uh, multitude of other bands. It was it was surviving, but it didn't. Then all of a sudden in the 90s, it really became marketable and profitable. Yeah, which and maybe has something to do with like the way people were feeling at the time. So suddenly, people weren't questioning it. People weren't afraid of it. People were slapping that fucking Nirvana record on. They're embracing it. Those Nirvana records are some of the gnarliest fucking shit I've ever heard in my life, and that shit sold millions And it's marketable. Copies. And nobody questioned it. Yeah. The world just said, that is cool, I want that. But if yeah. it was 1980... They went in like, that's punk. I'm not touching that shit. Fuck that. 
so it's almost like society was like ready said, to like hear the this. Year punk broke. It was just like all of a sudden everyone was like, "Yeah, I'm down with this." The record label was like, "We're down with this." The media was like, "We're down with this." Like all of a sudden everybody was cool with what was basically just a long projection of everything that had happened from 1974 all the way up to 1990. Right. So basically, what what you're getting is is that the majority of people that are listening to and buying music are suddenly ready and and uh, aligned with the worldview of punk. Strange, right? It is strange. I can't explain that part. And I it, can explain why someone wanted to sign Nirvana and wanted to make videos because... Because they were awesome. Imagine imagine who were, who were the A&R people at that time. Probably people who grew up in the 80s and 70s listening to punk. And now they're in charge. So you've got they're like 45-year-old dudes we sign, saying... We need to sign Soundgarden. We need to sign fucking Nirvana. A, we need to sign Pearl Jam. Like Sub Pop, like... Yeah. Obviously, they grew up in that shit. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it makes sense. You've got people in positions of power uh, in music that grew up on this stuff and suddenly they're getting a sense that the general population but the pop- likes it. But they, they yeah, want to hear it. They weren't sure, but they did. They wanted well, it. Well, obviously, it took a leap on it. And it worked. I can't, I don't, I can't explain that part. I can explain. The well, manufacturing no one can explain of, it, but the, the but why? I mean, MTV was still influential at that time, and you could imagine. I mean, even throughout the eighties, we're talking about like sort of MTV the, the, was pretty loosey goosey and kind of up their own ass and kind of stupid sometimes. But they still had their pulse, their hand on the pulse of like what was cool and what was happening. And so they're like, "Well, fuck yeah, we're gonna play this Nirvana Nirvana video like." all day every day and I think that that's probably what you know that, that that's why you just force it down their throat and they love it but Jesus Christ like yeah they deserved it and they got it the notoriety they deserved it because they're great and they got it it's crazy it still blows my fucking mind how Nirvana happened it's crazy yeah no it's it's sort of uh, well it seems sort of makes sense that a band like Smash Mouth would Smash Mouth would make it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it started on the late 90s. Jesus Christ. But, I mean, seriously, though, <laughs> thinking about Nirvana uh, making it at that time, it seems... it. On the one hand, it's like, how did this happen? You know, this doesn't make sense, it. but at the same time, it seems like almost... Uh, almost like... The Ramones are a harbinger of Nirvana to oh, come. Of course they are. Like, they they had to do what they did for Nirvana to happen, obviously. You know, they they paved that road. And Nirvana just bands. cruising down like the Audubon there's a, there's at a, 110 there's a miles an hour. There's a out there of, of Kurt Cobain's, like, top 50 albums, and they're all just old punk records. Yeah, and Squirrel Babe. Were they on there? Apparently, Peter Searcy was the most influential singer to Kurt Cobain. I haven't heard that, but I believe it. I know Squirrel Bait were like a big deal, for sure. I've only heard it anecdotally, but apparently he was heavily influenced by Squirrel Bait. I can imagine. But yeah, it's it's really crazy. So, okay, so then this this grunge thing happens, which is basically sort of a... An amalgam of uh, punk and then I mean, metal, and metal, which 
and is like ironic because Zeppelin it's also kind of an aversion or an answer to metal or a blowback against metal well because they, but it's still metal they were they were the punks who were listening to metal because when you you you, you, you see the metal influence but when you look at all those bands you're you're like these are just a bunch of regular dudes they were master musicians but you looked at them and went again in the mainstream you go I can do that which was the whole point of punk sure which was to be a rock and roll band for the people that's why punk rock is folk rock it's folk music Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, by the, it's, by well, it's like people. urban folk it's music. It's by the people, for the people, and when you're in the audience and you see it, you go, I can fucking do that. That doesn't mean that they're bad. Doesn't mean It doesn't mean anything. It just means when you they're, relate they're doing to it, it to the point where it's not 10-minute solos. You're like, I am a person. I have something to say, and I can say it, and I can get up there and do it because they're doing it. And they inspire me because they look so badass, but they're not playing so great that that doesn't mean that I can't do it. So I'm going to go off and start my band. So that's so legendary, like, the, 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 the mythos that every town the Ramones played, uh, ten bands were started. Every town yeah. the Sex Pistols played, ten bands were started. You know, it's like that's the thing. It's like every time they played a show, someone went, "I can fucking do that," and then they went off and started a band, and probably became just as well. Many bands became much more successful and prolific than those bands that I speak of because they saw them and said, "I can fucking do that." We have to start a band tomorrow, and they did it, and they be- they became a lot of bands became huge. I mean, that's. I started playing music. You don't. Watch the white straps and going, I can do that. Yeah. I can play drums like that. And that's very punk rock, too. And I've been listening to Henry Rollins a lot lately, and he keeps talking about all these old shows he used to go to. Big arena shows, you know? It's like he loved those bands. He talked about Ted Nugent. He's a huge Ted Nugent fan, huge Aerosmith fan. Sure. Led Zeppelin fan. But he's like, you go see him in these fucking giant arenas, and you can't, you can't hear him, you can't see him, you can't talk to him, you can't touch him. They're playing great music, but I'm not really sure if I can play that or not. You know, it's just like they're untouchable. And it's this thing that you yes. can't fucking do. So music was headed in this direction of who the fuck gets to make music? I'm not that guy. I'm not Jimmy Page. Like, where the fuck did he come from? Heaven? Right, like, right. What, <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Both? I don't know. Uh, so, you know, like, it took people to just say, fuck this. I'm just going to do me. Because that's what the Ramones say. like, why do you play the way we play? Like, I don't know. That's just the way I play. They just did what they could, what they thought sounded good to them. They didn't give a shit. They just wanted to right. be themselves. And it turns out that they just changed the fucking world just by playing the way that they play. Tommy yeah. wasn't a drummer. He was a fucking manager first. But before that, he was a guitar player. And they said, Joey sucks on drums. Joey was on drums for one show before he was moved to vocals. And Tommy said, I just play drums like I play guitar. You know, and Dee was a guitar player, but he was on bass. He's like, I play bass like I play guitar. You know, it's like, and Johnny, it's like, why do you play? I don't know. It's just the way I play. Like, all downstrokes, like, lightning fucking fast speed for like an hour and a half, like 40 yeah. fucking songs, nonstop. Which, at one point in time, probably would have been looked down upon because it wasn't proper technique or something, you know. But yeah, then... Guess, so fuck all that. Like, you do right. you. You be as good as you can be. And you just roll the dice and hope that it, that it catches. And, Which uh, is fucking punk. Because you, you can't be anything but yourself and you have to say fuck off to everything else and not be so hard on yourself to be something that you can't be, but you just have to be yourself. And if you want to fucking wear a garbage bag on stage <laughs> and play 30-second songs, if that's what gets you fucking off and makes you feel like a whole person and not want to kill everybody, yeah, more power to you. Wear a garbage bag. 
whip your penis out of somebody. Yeah. Well, and coincidentally, a whole bunch of other people. There's Lyle's penis. Look at that, look at that beer can. That's a giant thing that you've done there. 45 degrees. Perfect angle. So, yes, back to grunge. I think that, that, that even though I think all those grunge bands were like extremely technically proficient, there was still that that tangibility to it. Like, you could talk to them. Like, you knew them. Like, they were you. Like, you could... Well, it's kind of it like was, they were speaking for you. They, they looked dirty, or they looked... And they were just singing like, very dark lyrics. You know, nothing yeah. overtly poppy. But they, they did what the punks did, which was to take subversive lyrics and make it poppy. Make it melodic. Accessible. And... That was grunge. It just it just came on the tail end of the eighties, which the eighties were a cavalcade of so much insane shit. Yeah. That it would only make sense that someone would come out of the other end inspired by both punk and metal, which of course that's where Metallica came from. They loved Right, with the thrash. They loved um, you know, Iron Maiden and, and all of Lars's obscure fucking European metal bands as much as they loved Ramones and Misfits. And that's where they came from. Which seems like a juxtaposition. Fucking misfits for playing speed metal thrash before Metallica ever fucking rolled around. Like all black, dark, technically proficient, amazing, like crazy shit. That's I mean, misfits were doing that before Metallica did. You know, like we look at Metallica as the progenitors of dark thrash in America because it had all been over in Europe, but the misfits were fucking doing that shit before they. And that's why they were so inspired by them. Well, I mean, it's not unlike grunge where it's like you know, these unsung heroes have been doing it before anyone else and yet they're not the ones getting the credit for sparking that fire. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to down, downplay Metallica at all. Oh, no, no. I, I think don't think so. I mean, but, you know, more power to them for being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I think there should be more metal bands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Well, sure. As far as metal... Oh, Jovi's in there now. Metal? <laughs> as far as metal in America, like, that was Metallica. Metallica so. were the flag bearers for metal in America because it was so huge in England. Yeah. And then Lars brought all that shit over and wanted to do that in America. And then that's, you know... So well, and speaking of unsung heroes, I mean, how about Lars? You know, everyone thinks he's a fucking complete asshole. And he fucking called it. He fucking called it. And we're still going to call him an asshole, but guess what? The record industry is in the fucking dumps. No, he literally he was, said, like, Napster is going to fuck this all up. He was and right all along, and people still want to go, like, Lars is a dick. No, he was right. He's an amazing drummer, and he's a cool dude. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Don't tell me fuck Lars. <laughs> he started Metallica. Like, what? Well, I mean, who hasn't been on the fuck tennis? Lars like, train? How much shit do you want to talk about? His Lars? name is Lars. Yeah. Well, and talking about uh, punk rock things, about people who didn't know how to do what the fuck they were doing, uh, my understanding is that the way that Lars became the drummer for Metallica was that uh, James Hetfield answered a classified ad that Lars had posted saying like I want to be a drummer in a band I don't know if it was a metal band but he wanted to be a drummer in a band and like you say he was a tennis pro in fucking Scandinavia where the fuck he's from he's got the hands (laughs) (laughs) and 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 anecdotally 
like he came in to try out and he didn't know what he didn't know how to play the drums really at all that's I huh. I could be wrong but uh, I, I, I don't know that part of their history so no so so Lars kind of came from he just wanted to be a drummer which you know more power to him because he's one of the most influential drummers probably of the last 30 or 40 years <laughs> and and <laughs> maybe well hey I mean he's it's one fuck. of I'm just, I'm just fucking I mean, obviously, he's influential. Come he's on. up there. Like, yes. whether or not you he, think he's, he's no, good. He's no is, Dave Grohl. I'm not trying to Dave talk Grohl about his proficiency, which I think Lars is actually awesome. And, like, and where he came from, uh, you know, in that way kind of made him have some cool, like, wow. really, really cool um, sort of signature uh, motions. You know, starting on an offbeat where no other drummer would do that. And you would think, that, well, that's weird, but but it's fucking Lars. And you hear him drum and you know it's Lars drumming. You know? Yeah. And I don't know, he's just badass. And Metallica is badass, obviously. Um, but it's just, it's it's really wild to just think about like how all this stuff has morphed over time and like who gives sort of their gift to the next generation well, yeah. well, let's, to let's make a new sound that just popped into my head I would love another to another rebirth of punk rock the White Stripes now that's like to come out in the time that they did to become so big so fast into something kind, of, kind of the same way that Nirvana did it was just like <laughs> But when you look yeah. at it, you go, does that guy really know how to play guitar? And is he playing a plastic guitar? And can he was playing a plastic can, guitar. Can she yeah. play? And no, she couldn't. And, no, but she can. She could. But here's yeah, here's she, what she like, could I need like, amazingly I have to say is like, I, this is another person I, I that I get so sick and tired of people trash talking because it's like, no, she was amazing. She was the white because, star. Absolutely. Look, because. When you, you have to look, you have to know how to look at them properly. They looked amazing. There's your first point. So that brings you in. They looked fucking amazing. So you're like, oh, I have to see these people. Then you're fed off of him because he's a fucking wild man. He's a fucking beast. And you've never heard anybody sing like that. You've heard people play blues guitar. But this guy played with the reckless abandon like Greg Jinn did from Black Flag. Just completely gnarly and unhinged, but completely fucking focused and on point. Oh, yeah. The yeah. only perfect way that he can do it. And the only per- the right. like, I, like I was saying is the spirit of punk is like the way that they played is because they only, that's the only way they knew how to fucking play because they were so unique and they were proud of their identity. Jack White yeah. played that so, way. They were so she, caged she, to, like, to what they could do. So like it, it just it made sense that he was like I mean it looked like Jack was biting at the fucking bit every single second they were playing because they could only do so much. And she kept up. Yeah. And she kept up. He wanted to do a and ton she, more, look, but like he knew we all the restraint, the the perfectness in the in the white stripes is the restraint. Like to me anyway. But like, she was right yeah. fucking like the same way that say like oh well Tommy Ramone wasn't a great drummer. No, he absolutely was. 
he just did exactly what needed to be done for that music. Right. Meg did exactly what needed to be done for that music. And if she sucked, Jack wouldn't have kept her around. Jack kept her around. So obviously, he respected what she brought to the table as far as the art. This band yeah. existed yeah. only because of her and him. Well, it comes down to like serving the song versus serving your own, you know, and, self-flagellation. And, and what's even greater is that how good in am the I? major spotlight, her style was present. Like that was oh, absolutely major label, big selling money band, and you're watching this chick just go boom bap, boom bap, you know, and like that is fucking amazing because she's great, but also it's not. Oh, we don't have to be obsessed with Dave Grohl anymore. Like he's great. It's kind of like with the punk stuff with the seventies. It's like yeah. you guys are fucking untouchable. Now Meg, I can get on board with. Well, like, it, I can it's, do that. It's a She's great. So, th- I think that it's they're a pu- fucking perfect modern punk band because they did their own unique thing. I don't think anyone could do exactly what they do, but I think it inspired a multitude of people to go like, I can do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but that doesn't well, degrade from what they did because what they did was fucking perfect and magical. Well, I and think that's it's why a- they, that's why they ended the way they did. Like. It had to end that way. I, I honestly, if they never played together again, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Because it, it lived, and it was a fucking beast. And yeah. It went out on fire. Yeah. I just hate it when people... And I got to see them live, so, like, it's uh, fine. Well, it's, you know, I mean, it's a difference of, of uh, you know, Meg may not be the most virtuosic drummer. Doesn't you know, matter, though. You can't compare Meg for the White Stripes, though. to Neil Peart. Because they're not the same thing. She's perfect for White Stripes, and that was her band, and that's what she did. She, that That is the nature of art, and I don't think people understand art or the punk. It's just like she was perfect for what she did and who she was, and she right. did it very successfully. And it pisses me off when people shit, you don't shit have talk to, her. Well, it's, you it's, don't have to be I think Neil it's Park a conflation of art versus, uh, like, talent. Or talent in the sense of, like, technical ability. It's not the same thing as creating something unique. Yeah. Like you're talking about. It's unique because only you can do it. And you do what you can and you fucking rock out. And it's rock and roll. Yeah. I don't think there's another person on the planet that could play the drums like Meg White and the White Stripes. I really don't. I mean, close. You, you watch. I mean, well, no one, can, no one obviously never, can play never, like Meg because no one is her. I mean, she had her own mystique and her aura and her. And they look, had. You know, they also had their a click between the two of them, where it was just yeah. like, yeah, not playing with a set list. It was just like, like visual cues, like, you know, like no, he, like they know, they know. You watch that Grammys performance, like, it's unreal. You have goosebumps, make you piss your pants. Well, Lyle, you know better than anyone. The dynamic that a guitar player and a drummer can have together, and I've been in the same situation. You got to click, man. I mean, you got to fucking click. There's, there's gotta something be an there. Bond that, I mean, you can play the song the same every time, but it's so much more fun to be in the zone, to be in yeah. the pocket together. Yeah. And know that just you're just you're fine. Either one of you is fine. Doesn't matter if you fuck up. Not even a fuck up thing. It's just like you're fine. The song's gonna the song's gonna end. And it's going to be great because, because you're, you're living fun. in that present moment. Yeah, it's all about that being in the present, and you're just kind of you're letting the m- music sort of flow through you in a way that you're not being intentional about what you're playing. It's just happening. Yeah, you're doing it, 
and you're doing it together and you're existing together in that moment. That's the chippy right there. There's my chippy. That's where chippy is. There hims be. There's my chippy. Not gonna lie, I gotta I gotta pee again. You got a chippy anybody over there? Oh, just about being in the present with my chippy. Being in the present with my chippy. Dumbo trailer. Dan DeVito in there. Man, everybody was in there. Repeating. Um, I mean... I think it'll be a gorgeous movie. I'm sure it'll be tolerable. And Tim Burton. I think it'll just kind of come and go, and everyone will be like, ah, cool, all right. <laughs> but, it'll kind of have that Beauty and the Beast sort of vibe, like that remake of... All of those Disney movies are going to have remakes like that, I'm sure. Yeah, well, Lion King is on its way. Hopefully they do Fox and the Hound. Not sure. <laughs> Not sure how you're going to that. Well, that was my favorite. I was like the Fox and the Hound? Oh, it killed me. Killed that, me when I was a kid. That one dog that kind of talked like... What the hell? Hold on. Uh, <laughs> Wait, clear your throat? <clears throat> sounded like a lot of fun. You got your goddamn things over there, Mr. Dog. What's that? Wow, that guy's voice... <laughs> Yeah. There it is. It's close. I mean, it's it's been closer. <laughs> then you got Pinocchio. Will probably get remade. Tell you what, better than on the way Aladdin Thomas. and Lion King. First episode of Dylan talks been, punk. It's been recording the whole time. What? Right there. DTP. When did you start recording that? DTP podcast. 29 minutes ago. Son of a bitch. I got you.